Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles, open up to Colossians if you have it. If you don't have a Bible, the, the verses that will be in will be on the screen behind me. So glad that you are here with us this morning, this spring break week. Um, it's been a crazy week, hasn't it? A lot of things in the news, a lot of craziness, a lot of things to be worried about, fearful, fearful about. Um, but I love that song. I love that that first line struck me. It just says, I will not be anxious because Jesus, you are near. And so that's why we're here to open up God's word and to, re and to remind ourselves that uh, all of the stuff going on in the world around us, all of the things that we face, all the things that we read about, all the things that uh, we get anxious about, uh, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still ruling and reigning at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we can cling to him. We can cling to Christ, uh, knowing that he is not surprised by all the chaos that seems to be enveloping us around us. Well, Colossians, we're jumping in. We've got this week, and then we'll be finished with it next week, and we ha will have walked through the entire book of Colossians. It's been an incredible journey thus far. I've, I hope you've loved walking through the book of Colossians as much as I've loved uh, getting to go through it. Just personally, the, the, the word of God has been teaching me so much, has been rooting things into my heart uh, that has just been playing itself out in the every day of my life. And so I hope the same has been true of you. And so we come to this particular passage uh, after last week and what Ashley read for us uh, this morning was kind of this new identity that we have, that we are now to put on Christ. We're now to put on uh, humility and forgiveness and all those things so we take off the old and we put on the new, right? And so in light of this new identity that we have as followers of Christ, as uh, sons and daughters of the Most High because of Christ, uh, Paul's gonna sort of get up in our faces a little bit. Okay, he's going to get in our business a little bit. And so he's going to be addressing some relationships in our everyday life that have pervasive impacts on how we live and how we operate in the world today. And sometimes I think we kind of have this thought that, you know, uh, my faith is, is personal. My faith is between me and God. It's this intimate thing uh, that's very personal. And yes, it is. That is true. It's very personal. But faith isn't just a personal me and God thing. That's not the way the scriptures talk about it. That's not the way that faith works. See, when Christ comes to live inside of us, we, li we, we, we link our lives with his. We're a part of his great story. It says that we've, we now, uh, the scripture last week says that we actually share in Christ's glory, right? And so there's this very real response that it's not just this hidden personal thing, but yet we share in the very glory of Christ in the every day of our lives now. And so when that happens, when we now link our lives to the story of God, the story of the gospel, it's changing us internally. It's making us a humble people, a forgiving people, all of these things. We're transformed by the gospel and that reality now dominoes into every aspect of our lives. You think about dominoes, right? You start one, right? Jesus begins this relationship, this work in us that has this dominoing, cascading effect on our lives. And it just, it, it affects and tips into and pushes over into every facet of our lives. Our friendships, uh, our relationships, our marriages, uh, the way we talk and parent our children, all of these different things. 
Now, this may be in bad taste because of current, uh, the current uh, scenario we find ourselves in with viruses, but one of the authors that I read uh, years ago, his name is Alan Hirsch, he describes the gospel uh, like a virus. And if you're like me, you've been watching the news like crazy, you're wanting to see where everything has spread, who has what, where the numbers are, how it's going. And you look at this global map of this coronavirus and how it's spreading and how it's uh, how it infects different people and how it affects different people the, and all of the pervasive nature that this is have, has on our economy, has on people's lives. I have a friend who pastors a church in Kirkland, Washington, where the biggest outbreak is right now. He says their entire city is like a ghost town. He says people are not outside. He said it's, they've had to cancel church for the next month. School systems have shut down. So this virus has had just pervasive impact in our lives. Alan Hirsch wrote a book called The Forgotten Ways, and he talks about the gospel uh, ha- having impact and reach like a virus. And the way he describes it is you don't know who, who it's going to uh, affect. You don't know how it's going to grip them. But when the gospel goes out, there's no stopping it. You can't just say, well, I'm going to put the gospel over here and I'm going to kind of corral it like this. When the nature of the gospel goes and is, is spreads in such a way like a virus. And he says the way that we spread the gospel is like we sneeze the gospel, right? Like a virus. Like, oh, gosh, this is terrifying. Um, <laughs> But we don't know what it's like. So when we share the gospel, and this is the Colossians is getting here, but as Christ changes us internally, we begin to now live our lives in light of the gospel around all of these people, around our workplaces, our schools, our marriages, and we begin to bump into all of these different people in all of these different contexts, and we are now ambassadors, and we get to display and reflect and get to uh, talk about and get to share this gospel with all of these different people as we bump into them all over life. And God will give us opportunity to share and spread this gospel, this new way of living, this new reality of the world in which we live. And it begins to uh, expand and grow in places and people that we never thought possible. And that's the way the gospel has worked throughout the generations. In fact, it even grows and spreads in places where you wouldn't think possible. Oh, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the communication. The gospel grows and spreads in ways that are beyond our capacity to fully understand, much like a virus. We try to map it, we try to understand it, but you can't contain it. You can't stop it. It goes where it wants and it affects and changes those with whom it wants. And that's the good news of the gospel. We're looking at the bad news of a virus, but the gospel produces great amazing change. And so as we come to this particular text, in light of our new identity that we heard earlier, in light of all of these things that as we're bumping into all these different facets of our lives, the Apostle Paul is going to turn and he's going to get really practical. So in light of the fact that we're now a humble people, a forgiving people, a selfless people, uh, we're a people marked with the glory of God because of Jesus Christ, He says, this is how it's going to affect and change the most important relationships in our lives. He's going to be talking about uh, marriage. He's going to be talking about parenting. He's going to address children. He's going to talk about uh, how we work and who we work for and uh, how we have employees and how we are an employee. 
And so the first thing out of the gate that Paul addresses is this beautiful marriage relationship. Now, marriage all throughout the New Testament is on display. It's talked about. And God here is giving us a framework for how our new identity, our new connection with Christ, our new reality as children of God through Jesus Christ makes its way into and out through our marriage relationship. Now, before we jump in, I do need to, we'll need to address uh, a couple of things out of the gate before we jump right into this text. Now, we got to remember, this text, Colossians, uh, Paul's writing to a city, Colossae, to the Colossian church. It's written during a specific time to a specific people, right? And this text was written in an ancient culture several thousand years ago. In this text, these understandings of marriage and the gospel are introduced into this culture for the very first time as Paul is bringing the gospel to bear in this particular area and facet of their culture. At that time, when Paul wrote this, when he's addressing this, women had very few rights in that culture. Women could not be property owners. Women could not be business owners. Um, most of the weight of the culture, as far as uh, the public persona of the culture, rested with the man, Right? Also, what we're going to bump into when we read this these few, in these verses, this is all kind of distilled down, packed into just a few little verses. We're going to read about marriage in this culture, and we're also going to read about slave ownership. It's going to talk about bond servants, masters, and slaves is another way you could translate that, right? So this was a reality in the culture in which Paul is addressing, and so I want you to understand that when we read about slavery, when we read about masters and bond servants and slaves, Paul is not condoning anything about this culture. But catch this. This is amazing about the scriptures. The scripture is speaking the transforming power of a relationship with Jesus into an existing culture. He's writing to a people about the internal transforming power of Jesus through the gospel into what these people are facing as an everyday reality of their everyday lives and the relationships in which they live and operate. So the gospel is thriving amongst the, the very poor. And many of the people that found themselves as Christians worshiping Jesus were a slave or bond servant to a master. They were, had an indebted servanthood to someone for an extended period of time. And so Paul is writing to these people to say, here's how we bring the gospel to bear. Here's how you live as a Christ follower in the realities in which you find yourself in. So what does this mean for us? Two things. Some of us may be new to the faith. Uh, some of us may be new to studying the Bible. Um, some of us are maybe new to the, this whole, how do I have a relationship with Christ? How do I walk in light of the gospel? How do I, how do I live this out in my everyday realities? Um, and we come, to, we come to passages like this, like these, and we begin asking these questions. So is the Bible saying it's okay to have slaves? Is it okay to be a master? Is the Bible saying that, the, that women do not have equal rights? that they're not as valued as men in this culture? No, it's not saying that. What the Bible is doing is speaking into a moment because Paul was writing this to a people, to a place. It has 
It is the word of God. It's living active today, but he's writing for a specific people. And so the Bible is speaking into this moment, into the culture in which these people were reading it with the transforming power of Christ. Earlier in this text, we've already read and we've already seen that in Christ, there is no hierarchy. There is no one person better than the next, right? We read there's neither slave nor Jew, nor Greek, nor free, men, women. Everyone has full access, full ability to the saving power of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're slave, whether you're free, no matter what nationality you're from, whether you're Jewish or you have no Jewish background whatsoever and you didn't ever worship that God, you have the ability to be a worshiper of God through Christ Jesus our Lord and sharing in his great glory. So he's already leveled that playing field, right? No one is better than anyone else. There's no secret club. There's no special knowledge. In fact, this is the heresy that Colossians was written to, uh, to um, come up against. There's no secret special insider knowledge. Jesus and his work has done everything so that you don't need to go believing this little secret part over here that makes you special. No, Jesus has revealed all of who he is to those to the, to the church, there's no insider's club. So he says, all of the gospel is available, whether you are slave or free, male, female, whether you're Jew or you had no connection with the Jewish faith at all. The gospel comes and where the cross is proclaimed, anyone and everyone who hears and receives the grace of the Lord Jesus has full access to that grace and mercy of God through Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. So the love of God in the person of Christ has, now, now we have access to become sons and daughters in Christ, a brand new person in Christ. That's the heart of the message here. So the text does not condone a culture. It actually just comes into a culture that needs redeeming. So really, Christians were the ones that were part of unraveling slavery, because the, the gospel comes to bear and begins to change people from the inside out. And even what Paul is calling us to is, is radical even in these things, right? So that's the heart of the message is that uh, the gospel comes into a culture and speaks about how it, it's brought to bear where we're living and how we're living right here and right now. <clears throat> so what does this mean? <clears throat> uh, it means that God always wants to speak into our circumstances right now with where we find ourselves living our lives right now with the reality of the internal change of the gospel. Jesus comes in and changes us and it, it has pervasive impact on our culture and our lives right here, right now. So that means today you can be in a difficult marriage. It means that today you can have kids that are so exhausting, you don't know what day it is, you don't know what way is up, uh, you just are just barely getting by. Uh, it means that right now you may work for a boss that is the absolute worst, right? He's, he's difficult, he's demanding, she's never understanding, whatever it may be. And Paul is teaching here that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change your circumstances 
to have to have God come in and radically change your heart. That you can be in the midst of these circumstances, whatever you find yourselves in, and the radical, powerful change of the gospel can be real to you and can happen for you. That's powerful. That is a powerful, powerful thought and reality of the Christian life. That is the potential of living with Christ, Christ being made manifest inside of us and how we live and how we operate affects the very culture and relationships we find ourselves in right now, that we don't just have to run away from them in order to experience the fullness of all that Christ has to offer to us right now. So that's the backdrop that Paul's writing into this. Um, And here's the lens in which the gospel gives to us. We read it earlier, just hit a few highlights. This is the new identity in which we live in in order to to inform these relationships. So he's already said, put on then the gospel. What is it? You're holy. You are beloved. Another translation, you're dearly loved. This is verse 12. He says, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If someone has a complaint against you, forgive one another as the Lord's forgiven you. He says, then put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what the power of the gospel gives you right now to walk into these relationships that we have with one another, that new identity. All right, and so then right after that, right after verse verse 17 ends, he goes, verse 18 Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> oh, man. Now, as soon as we hear that, there's a reaction in us that says this. Oh, wait a minute. I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. But what God is doing is he's bringing order, and you see it all through Scripture. He never says anywhere in the Scriptures that one per- person is more important than the other. That's never in the Bible. He does say, husband, be the spiritual leader of your home. He says, husband, be the spiritual leader you're encouraging and love your wife. And then he says, wives, come under the leadership of your husband as he seeks to lead and love Jesus and, and lead out in the home as the spiritual leader. Now, it doesn't mean, wives, that you are like subservient and you're back here. You're, you have to kind of walk behind and you're two steps back and down in life. It doesn't paint that picture at all. It simply means that you recognize that God is giving structure and order to the family here. And here's the picture that the New Testament paints of a husband centered on the gospel, a godly man who is humbly leading his home, seeking what the Lord wants for his wife and for his children and for his home, a servant leader like Christ who leads his family in a loving, a patient, wise man who leads his children and is blazing a trail for his family that they can be all that God wants them to be in the kingdom of God. He sacrifices, he serves, he lays his life down for the good of those that he's leading because that's how Jesus has led us. That's the picture that God has in mind when he is writing this, when he's saying these things. And he's saying, wives, submit to that leadership that God wants to give you in your home. 
And then without taking a breath, he says, and husbands, love your wives. He doesn't stop. It's in the same flow. Husbands, here's what you need to do. Now, we know from New Testament writings that it doesn't mean a husband's loving our wives isn't just a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day once a year, right? Somebody's getting at here. He's saying, husbands, if you are going to be that kind of godly leader in the home, you must, here's what love means in the New Testament. Here's how Christ has loved you. Therefore, here's how you will love your bride. Here's how Christ loved his bride. Here's now how you will love your bride. You will sacrificially, sacrificially give your life away for the sake of your wife. You will lay down your rights for the flourishing of your wife and your family. That's the way that Jesus laid down his life for his bride. So he says, husband, husbands, love your wife in that manner. And when these two things, Paul is setting up, these relationships, this is where the rubber's meeting the road with all these things of we're humble, we're patient, we're kind, we're forgiving one another. These are all the gospel traits that we've put on and here's how it's working out. And when these two things are working in harmony, you have a beautiful picture of marriage. A husband lovingly, sacrificially leading his wife and his family so they can flourish in the kingdom of God, so they can be secure in love, and a wife submitting to and letting the husband lead out as God has called him in, in creating this order in the home that Paul is laying out here. It's this amazing, beautiful picture. A husband under God, seeking to lead his family, and the wife saying he's doing his very best. He's not perfect. He's certainly not Jesus. But I love the way he's serving me and he's leading my family. And I want to come under that and encourage and support and help him as he leads our family. And he's saying, husbands, I want you to love your wife. I want you to put them first. I want, them, I want you to serve them with everything you got. Make sure they know they're valued and cared for and lead well in the home. And most of all, make sure they know they're loved. And when these, th these things are working together, right, it just shows, it's, 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 a, it's a tangible display of a relationship of taking off the old, because what, what do we normally want to do in relationship? Uh, we want to be selfish. We want to have our needs met. We want to make sure we get all the things that we think we should get. And so our flesh wages war. And Paul is saying, no, that's not. Remember how Jesus has loved you. Remember what Jesus has done. You can now take off the old and put on the new. Compassionate, humility, forgiving one another as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Here's the rubber meeting the road in these relationships that mean the most to us. So this is, Paul is saying, this is life. And do we get it right every day? No, I don't. But it's us pursuing this picture that God gives to us of what it looks like when two people become one under one mission, and that is to glorify God through Christ with our lives together, with our marriage, and with everything that we do together. And then Paul comes real quickly. This is a condensed version. He goes real quick. He comes quickly to children and kids. So kids, verse 20. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Can I get amen? Amen. We parents, we like that one, but the other ones are like, ah, I don't know. I don't ooh, order and stuff. I don't want to do any of that stuff. But when it comes to our kids, we're like, 
Kids, memorize this one right here, right? We love to point to this one. He come, but right when he says this, he comes right back to the other side when you, when you start reading this. But he says, yeah, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. But it says, parents, don't push your kids to the brink. Don't provoke them. In other words, don't create an environment where it's never good enough. Don't create an environment where it's never right enough, where it's never quite what you wanted, where it's never quite what you expected, where they could have always done a little bit more, or they, they didn't quite get it right, or they just don't quite get it. And push and push and push and push. It pushes our children to the point of desperation where they start thinking thoughts like this, I'm never gonna be good enough. I just can't measure up to what they want from me. I can't cut it. Um, because Paul's already reminded us that we've seen in the text in weeks previous that we've been made fully acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And so we need to remind our children of that reality, of their position of grace in the gospel. Because just like God has given us grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it, parents, we should be able to afford our children the same and not just provoke them and push them to be perfectly obedient in all the ways that we ask them. Remember that big statement we had a few weeks ago? Now we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, if you're a parent and you understand grace and you've been given much grace, uh, that is the source now that which you draw from to extend grace to children in your home. that God has put in your life to steward and to lead toward Jesus in the gospel. So he's saying, kids, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents, remember in this picture, as dad is serving the home, sacrificially leading, loving his wife, loving his children, not provoking them. Children, obey your parents because they are running after Jesus. They are on one mission together, uh, pursuing uh, forgiveness and reconciliation and the beauty of the gospel it says in, in that picture in that family where there's order and spiritual nourishment he's saying children obey your parents in that in that way in that place because they're chasing after the lord they're chasing after the lord now if parents are totally off track and they're asking their children to disobey god and undermine the values of god this text is not saying, well, just do what they say. This text is assuming a picture. A mom and dad who are submitted to Christ, who are following Christ and desire to want to lead their family to glorify God. And kids get underneath that leadership of mom and dad because mom and dad are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of dad. He's the head of mom. And now the kids come under that good place of God's blessing in a Christ-honoring home. And Paul's saying, this is where kids thrive. This is where they experience grace. This is where they experience discipline. This is where they experience love. This is where they experience all the things that I want them to experience so they can grow into the fullness of God as children. And they're looking to you, mom and dad. They'll experience what it means to have a 
graceful father by looking at their father. So we can't cut this short, parents. We can't just quote a verse and expect it to work. We have to live it out. We have to keep living it out. Now it comes to um, the workplace. Uh, And the context, like I said, is the relationship between a slave and master because he's writing into this culture. Um, But I think the heart of what he's talking about, we can now, uh, we can, I think, rightly take some of these principles and these understandings as we live and work and operate in the world in which we live and operate and we have bosses, many of you in here are bosses and we can take these, this understanding of working out our faith in the workplace and understand it in our context today. Now, what's amazing here is though he's talking about slave and master, the heart of what he's talking about is the power of the gospel even in that setting. Paul says, even if you are in a slave and master situation here, which is not ideal, which the Christian church has been trying to eradicate for many, many years, we're still trying to do that today. He says, you can still experience the fullness of Christ in your life. That's amazing. What does that tell us? It tells us that no circumstance can short circuit you from walking in the fullness of God. That's how big our God is. That's how close he can be to you. Walking in the power of God and experiencing all that he wants for you. Now, I think it's helpful here as we let it bleed over into workplaces. So many of us spend the majority of our time, the majority of our, our, our waking hours at work, at some place, at an office. And so I think what God is trying to help us understand here is that the gospel is changing our perspective. And here's one of the biggest shifts I believe any of us can experience in life as Paul is addressing here. What is that shift? That I'm no longer just doing the work that I'm doing for a boss. I'm no longer just doing the work that I'm doing for a board of directors. I'm no longer just uh, doing the work that I'm doing for my shareholders. I'm no longer just doing the work that I'm doing for my supervisors. Why am I doing this then? I'm doing my work as if I'm doing it for God, Paul's addressing. Why? Because I belong to him. And whatever I do, remember this, in word or deed, I do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, verse 17. So if I'm a teacher, I'm gonna teach for God. If I'm in the oil and gas industry, I'm doing it for God. If I work in the food industry, I'm doing it for God. If what I'm doing in my work has a lot of eyes and it's being seen by a lot of people, we don't let that be our primary motivation to please other people. We do it as if working for the Lord, for his eyes. If I work a job that no one sees what I do, no one notices, it always feels overlooked, it always feels menial, it always feels discouraging, no one says a word about it, no one encourages me or says I do a good job at whatever it is, that's okay. I'm doing it for the Lord. He sees me, he knows me, he knows what I've been called to do. He understands me. I don't need the applause of people. God himself is watching me. 
he's with me, he's in me. And the work that I do, this is amazing, now, doesn't matter what work we do, takes on significance and meaning because we're doing it for him, Paul says. Why? Verse 24, because God sees everything and God rewards the faithful. God sees it all and God rewards the faithful. So maybe you get a bonus, maybe you get a promotion, maybe you get a certificate, maybe you get a gold watch in the corner office. The whole nine. Maybe someone recognizes the work that you're doing and says, great job, way to go. All of that is wonderful. But as a Christ follower, you live with this understanding Paul's telling us. I live for God. I have a bigger purpose than just a paycheck or just people's recognition. I live for God and his kingdom and his glory. God sees my work. God sees my efforts. And that's enough. And he's going to reward me. And then take it to the other side as we close here. He says, masters. He says, treat your slaves with respect and with fairness the way that God has treated you. He's letting the gospel, he's letting the pervasive nature of the gospel that God has treated you with respect, that God has treated you well, that God has loved you. He's saying now if you lead people, he's sub subverting the whole system by saying now treat the people that are under your care the same way. So if you're gonna treat them in line with the gospel, it's gonna change the very way that you treat the people under your care. No longer can you abuse them. No longer can you take advantage of them. No longer are they a cog in the wheel for you. They are people creating the image of God that you are to steward and care for well because God has cared for you well. Do the same that God has done for you. A lot of us are bosses in this room. A lot of us are in charge of a lot of people. A lot of us are in charge of really big budgets and big ideas and have very important tasks that you have people working with you and for you. Paul's saying, don't just tell them what to do and yell at them to do it harder. God values those people under your care. Show them how God values them and explain to them how you've come to understand how much God values you and let it pour over into your very work and how you lead and love people around you that are working with and for you. Each one of these things that Paul's talking about, each of these relationships have an A and a B, right? He's juxtaposing two different things. So he's saying, wives submit, husbands love. Kids obey, parents lead in love. Employees work as if you're working for God. Employers lead your people with the same grace and mercy that God has extended to you. And so all of this is to say, all of this is to help us understand that the gospel is not just a private thing between you and God. It's so much more than that. The gospel is intended to work its way out in every part of our lives, not only to change us, but to show us the supreme in parenting, the sufficiency of Jesus in marriage, in parenting, in loving our kids, in working, in being a boss, in being an employer. The gospel finds inroads into every aspect of our lives. It changes us internally, and it changes things around us externally so that then it can change those things internally. And it just keeps going and going and going and producing more and more fruit so that the world in which we live in, the people in which we interact with, begin to see and savor Christ and all that he's done in us. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what he's calling us into. That's what he's calling us toward.
It's meaningful and it matters and the gospel produces great change in and around us as the rubber meets the road. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to all the different aspects of our lives. Thank you that it pushes up against areas of even unbelief in our lives. And so God, help us cling to you. Help the wives and husbands in this room begin to display and show a picture of a home transformed by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus and let it just be a tangible display of Christ's love for the church. Help us as parents, Lord, to love our children. Help us to be easy to obey because we are grace-filled parents. We're truth-bearing parents. We're parents leading and showing our children the way of truth. God, I pray for any children here that are, that are wayward, that are rebelling against it. Would you draw them back and would you use mom and dad to bring them back to the truths of the gospel? God, I pray for us as we work, as we go to work. Lord, whether a hundred people see the efforts of our hands or no one sees it, may we be working for you, an audience of one. We don't earn your love, but we know that you've already given us everything that we need. And so now we can work as, as dearly loved, beloved children, knowing that our work has purpose because you've called us to it. God, I pray for those that are bosses in this room. They're in charge of a lot of people that make many decisions every day that affect many people's lives. Lord, would you give them um, a new understanding of their identity of that position, that they are dearly loved by God, that they have been treated with fairness and love and respect by God, our Father, and may they in turn do the same to those that work under their care. May they be servant leaders. May they be easy to follow. And may we reflect your glory in all of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing to him. One last song.